what I'm impressed by with Imobi is everyone is encouraged to think big and it's a company that does not shy away from making big bets on the future and putting real wood behind the fire. Welcome to The Marketing Report, a podcast created for and by marketing professionals who seek to better understand their consumers and design unique, personalized experiences that stand out in today's market. In each episode, hosts from Verisk Marketing Solutions connect you to industry thought leaders, practitioners, and experts focused on improving B2C experiences through powerful data-driven insights. It's about how we connect with our consumers and where we can partner together to do it better. This is The Marketing Report. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Marketing Rapport podcast uh, presented by Various Marketing Solutions. My name is Corey Davis. I lead the MarTech, AdTech, and Media Ecosystem Vertical and Category here at VMS. Very excited to have our guest today, Todd Rose, who has a very long and distinguished career. So I'm just going to read some of the basics here. Todd Rose is SVP of Global Business Development and GM of Identity and Addressability at Imovi. That's a very long job title. Todd joined Imovi in mid-2021. For those who aren't familiar, Imovi is a very large global business operating in over 100 countries uh, with about 2,500 or so employees. And they act as an end-to-end mobile advertising platform. Long words. Prior to Inmobi, Todd spent eight years in the location data space, both first with Ninth Decimal and then joined InMarket after the acquisition. Prior to that, spent seven years across Ingenio, AT&T, and YP.com, yellowpages.com. And then uh, spent the first 10 years or so of his career in a range of consulting, venture capital, and product roles, including a stop at McKinsey, recently. Good consulting firm. Very excited, Harry Todd. Thanks for joining the show. Thank you for having me on and excited to be here. I thought when you, were, when you first said long, I thought you were going to mention my job title is about as long as my career, which is somewhat true. I, I Originally took on the, the SVP of Global Business Development and added another job shortly after I joined, hence the long title. Isn't there like a thing of like the, the fancier you are, the shorter your job title is? I got to work on that. It's clearly room <laughs> for improvement. Yeah. All right. So, so to, give us, get, to get us started here, I guess give the audience a little bit more depth, specifically on your, your background, your your career been a lot of places. I guess talk us through how you landed where you are. Yeah, and probably work backward a little bit. But I've been largely in business development roles over the past two decades uh, with an initial grounding in product. I've always said I believe the best business development folks have a solid foundation in product because they understand what's feasible and they're less inclined to overpromise and underdeliver. So I think it's a good grounding to have. But in terms of background, so uh, I've been here about a year and three months at InMobi, leading global business development and our 
identity and addressability initiative. I spent the last nine years prior to that in location intelligence, targeting foot traffic attribution, insights and analytics solutions. I spent all of that time with Ninth Decimal, which originated as Jiwire. We rebranded and refocused the company from its initial mission as a Wi-Fi advertising network into the one of the preeminent providers of location intelligence solutions, ultimately selling the company to in-market, um, where I spent the, the last year of my time in the location space. Prior to that, I had been at at t Interactive, which had bought, you mentioned, Ingenio before, which was the uh, industry's first pay-per-call advertising network. I would describe that as we did for the phone call what Google did for the click. It's a little self-aggrandizing, but that was at least the mission. And a really interesting solution for advertisers in the local space, which was what made it a, a really nice fit for AT&T. And prior to that, as you mentioned, I had spent uh, time with McKinsey and Consulting. And my first stint in the internet era was, uh, or in the internet economy was in the 1.0 era with LookSmart, which was one of the first internet search engines. And I was actually product manager on our pay-per-click advertising solution. Uh, while a little, little company down the road started by a couple of grad students from Stanford, I would say did a better job of it in the end. Nice. Nice. So you, um, you have been around, you've been doing this a long time. Obviously I have, well, maybe not obviously to, to the audience. I have a very special place in my heart for yellowpages.com. As, as the Yellow Pages industry uh, was where I started my career. A few years after you did it, and not a, really on the internet side, on the print side, but that was a, that was a pretty challenged business. But as a, as a 22-year-old, it was, it was very good for me. So It was an interesting challenge at the time because we were brought on board by AT&T really with this notion of uh, replacing the declining but still very profitable print business with a digital growth engine. Uh, so the whole time we were there was really about managing that revenue curve and trying to find that inflection point where we could increase overall revenue while print was declining. Yeah. Had a lot of progress on the way, but that was a huge, huge business to replace. Yes, yes. Okay, and so through all that time, land in Moby positioned as an end-to-end -end mobile ad I guess, give, give the audience a quick sense of, of, first, the history, where the business came from, what it is today, and then ultimately kind of like where, where it's going. Yeah, InMobi uh, occupies a unique space in, uh, in the online advertising economy. Most people, well, first, where, or where it came from, InMobi started about 15 years ago as a traditional uh, mobile advertising network over time saw the company saw the opportunity with programmatic on the horizon acquired a company called airserve and built a leading exchange on top of it and so a lot of people know inmobi as an in-app first ssp mobile app, uh, mobile ad exchange what folks may not realize is first of all we've built end-to-end -end capabilities on top of that so in addition to being the largest independent in-app focused ssp we've also built one of the leading uh, performance-focused DSPs uh, in the ecosystem, as well as a robust intelligence and insights platform knitting the two together. 
But really what makes InMobi pretty unique is I think most companies in the ad tech arena fall into one of two broad buckets. They're either a consumer facing property first that has subsequently built enterprise ad tech capabilities to build a robust walled garden, right? We know the walled gardens, the you know, sure. the, the snaps, the TikToks, the, you know, Twitters, uh, Facebooks of the world. The other large category is, is sort of pure ad tech vendors focused on helping third parties monetize their inventory or execute campaigns, DSPs, SSPs, and the like. We are that rare breed that started purely as a third party ad tech solution provider and evolve the other direction to build a set of consumer-facing properties and surfaces. So InMobi Group is comprised of InMobi Advertising, which is the you know, third-party focused ad tech platform, as well as Glance, which has built a series of products and solutions that help carriers and OEMs develop monetizable content for the lock screen, the home screen, and folders, obviously on Android devices, because yeah. in the Apple ecosystem, you know, Apple pretty much controls all of that. But there's a big opportunity for uh, really engaging consumers with compelling content on demand and anticipating their needs. And so we've built a business around developing that content, compelling content for users, and monetizing that content on the backs of our ad tech solutions. Got it. So that's it. I mean, that sounds like amazing. Big business between big those two of the organization. That's a, that's a big company uh, and, and a big business. What's next? Where, where are you trying to go? Um, yeah, so we're still in the early phase in a lot of ways on on the Glance business. Uh, we've got tremendous traction in APAC and in India in particular. Deals with many of the leading OEMs in that region and reaching 150 million plus users uh, on devices today and growing quickly. We've got ambitious goals to expand that footprint globally. And there's only so much I can disclose on that, but we are in active talks with OEMs and carriers around the world to bring those solutions to North America, the EU, even Latin America. So big ambitions on that front. We also have aspirations in other emerging areas We've got a commerce team that's focused on helping retail media networks monetize their properties, as well as expand media budgets for their clients offsite. Um, so that's a big area of focus as well and a big growth opportunity. Nice, nice. And with this incredibly long uh, and somewhat ambiguous job title you have. So you got, apparently you have two jobs, business development and identity, both can be a little ambiguous. So what the heck do you do all day? Like what, what are you and the teams like working on in these two things? That's a great question. And because business development is, means very different things in, in different companies. The way I think about business development here is largely focused on working with partners in one capacity or another. So within that team, we've got a supply focused team that's bringing, bringing publishers or what we call supply partners onto our exchange, as well as, I should have mentioned this before, as well as Mison, which is our nascent mediation platform geared towards publishers that are interested in 
bringing their mediation capabilities in-house. A lot of publishers want the transparency, control, and neutrality inherent in a self-mediated solution for their advertising rather than relying on third-party black box solutions. So my team is bringing on publishers for both of those solutions. And I've got teams focused on gaming and non-gaming throughout the globe. I also have a team focused on demand partnerships. So working with the big DSPs and platforms that control advertiser budgets to help execute their campaigns across our exchange. And then we've got the, the kind of third major mandate there is data partnerships, or I should say data identity, addressability, ecosystem partnerships. So, you know, data to help inform our understanding of users, data to help with attribute, or I should say solutions to help with att measuring attribution and effectiveness of campaigns, all of those kind of partnerships. So that's on the BD side. On the identity and addressability side, we're all familiar with the challenges that the industry is facing with the deprecation of mobile advertising IDs, as well as third-party cookies in the mobile web environment. And so our mandate there is really, how do we help ensure addressability of media in a post-made, post-cookie world? So when you ask, what are the problems we're working on? Well, first, I think the first thing to clarify is identity is one subset of a larger problem. It's really a problem of addressability. Identifying users is one solution to that, but that has some inherent limitations to it, right? Largely driven by, in most of the economies in which we're working, users have to, at some level, provide consent to use cross-publisher identifiers uh, that allow you to identify them as they move from one property to the next. So identity is fairly ambiguous these days. So I don't, see there being a one-size-fits-all solution or panacea for identity and addressability. So really what we're working on here is a almost hierarchical portfolio-based approach to addressability that blends one-to-one -one identity with cohort-based solutions, as well as contextual solutions to solve that problem of addressability for our clients. That, that sounds like a small initiative. Very cross-functional. Very cross-functional. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. But the, the team that I'm responsible for is really focused on building our identity graph assets at the core. So using best-of-breed uh, identity data from third parties and blending that with first-party data that we collect um, on a consented basis from both our owned and operated consumer surfaces that Glance operates and the consented data we get from the exchange and our DSP businesses, blending that all together to build a robust understanding of individuals where we have the, the consent and permission to do so. Yep. Yep. That, uh, so massive consumer footprint, large ad tech business operating in a hundred plus countries trying to solve for something like identity unique regulations with unique consumer preferences, but all hoping to support sort of these global brands, I think, and global advertisers. And I would imagine across all or most of those hundred markets that you're serving, how do you, how do you pull that off? 
Yeah, it makes it a matrix problem, right? A lot of companies are are dealing with just the legislation in one country, and that's you know challenging enough as is. Now multiply that matrix by you know 100 plus countries. But I think the um, there's a couple of key aspects of what make that scalable and tenable for us. I think the first insight is that when you look at privacy legislation, there's really a discrete set of six or seven essential questions that characterize privacy policy in any given nation in which you operate. First, what constitutes personal information of users? And within that sensitive personal information, they might be subject to even more greater regulation. Two, what kind of consent must be procured from users, opt in or opt out to collect that kind of personal information? And how must that consent be collected? Three, what data subject rights apply? What rights do users have to obtain their data, to request modification of it, or the request to be forgotten or delete that information? Four, what use cases are permissible? What can you do with that data? And how do you need to communicate those uh, intended use cases to users? Five, what rights do companies have to share and or sell that personal information collected from users and make that available to third parties. What are the constraints around that? Six, how must user data, data be stored and protected? And what restrictions exist on where it can be stored and or processed? And then finally is what rules apply with respect to uh, protected classes of users? So COPPA regulations in the US that protect underage users, right? So I think it, you know, it, now that's a bit of an oversimplification and there's a lot of nuances in the particulars within each given country, but those are the essential questions that you're dealing with in any given geography. We've got a very talented and overworked legal team that keeps track of all of those legislations. Any given product release that we put out needs to go through a privacy committee review and clearly demonstrate how those solutions comply with the regulations in the applicable countries. And hats off to our legal team. They've actually developed quite a innovative solution for keeping track of the relevant uh, regulations in each country in a, in a whole sort of automated interface that now when you launch a product, you can uh, internally here, you can identify what countries you're going to go into and the tool will actually return back to you what are the key uh, regulations that you need to comply with to give guidance to the product teams right out of the gate. So that makes all of this process way more efficient. I've told them don't get too entrepreneurial because there's a big thinking. That sounds like a great product. The legal it is a great product. It's still pretty nascent, but kudos to the team. They're doing a fantastic job on that. I mean, no disrespect to the legal field, but you are not, that group is not really known for their creativity here. I mean, you don't think of them as entrepreneurs, but you would be surprised. Right. It's, it's endemic in the culture here. It's, it's one of the reasons I came here. What I'm impressed by with Imobi is everyone is encouraged to think big, and it's a company that does not shy away from making big bets on the future and putting real wood behind the fire. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, I'm going to pay attention to that, that last piece that there's going to be a, a general counsel or somebody who's, who's going out on his, her own, asking for a million dollars on a $25 million. That's right. Buzzwordy stuff is. Okay. So that's, so you got two, two old jobs 
at a big company, lots and lots of responsibilities. Well, it sounds like the business is doing very well. Outside of work, what do you I mean? Do you have time to spend time on anything? Like, like what do you have? What free time? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what are you spending your time on? Obviously kidding. There's a um, like balance between work and personal life is uh, absolutely essential and even more important in this new era where our personal and professional lives seem to be blending somewhat seamlessly. So first of all, I've got two school-age kids. I've got a freshman in high school and a sixth grader, uh, two daughters um, who are very involved and energetic and active. So uh, my wife and I spend a lot of our time certainly attending to their needs and watching their soccer games and attending their performances and shuttling them to and fro. So that certainly occupies a lot of time. But to care for myself, I am... I've always been a pretty active person, love sports. And in particular, uh, I'm an avid soccer player playing the Palo Alto Adult Soccer League every week. Um, where all of us are, I can tell you, little confession, most of us plan our work, travel around our weekly game <laughs> because it means that much to us. But it's also optimized to parents of school-age kids. We get to play at night at 8.30. It works great. But yeah, I play soccer, been a lifelong tennis player, played through college, so played pretty pretty actively as well. And then when winter rolls around, I, I try to get as many days in on the slopes as I can, squeeze them in here and there. But those are uh those are sort of my my biggest passions outside of work. You um I have a five month old, and you just saying that you play soccer at eight thirty PM has me like, why isn't he asleep? What that's so late. I'm like, like, whoa! I haven't, I haven't been awake at eight thirty p.m. in like, you know, months. So good for you. Um, uh, I think that's okay, the part that goes Yeah, yeah. At some point, I, I will, I will have a, a normal life again. I'll be alive to play soccer at eight thirty at night. Okay. Last, lastly, where can the audience go to to learn more about you? Learn, you know, learn more about Moby, connect with you, all that stuff. Yeah. So to learn more about Inmobi, certainly go to our website, Inmobi.com. We've got a pretty active blog covering all the emerging topics in the industry. Really fantastic resource center on, for example, Apple's SK Ad Network, how to leverage that for attribution and to run effective performance campaigns. A really good resource center there. You know, commentary, ongoing commentary on the blog on all sorts of developments. And we even have Inmobi University, which helps kind of certify practitioners in the programmatic marketplace and, and prepare them to be successful. So you can certainly learn a lot about Inmobi there and the solutions we provide. To learn more about me, certainly LinkedIn is a good place to start and a lot of industry events that you'll see me at over the course of the year. But look, I try to pride myself on being responsive and open to interesting conversations. So when folks reach out with an interesting value proposition, just make sure it's something, it's got something in it for both of us. I'm often inclined to engage. Listen, Todd, thank you so much for joining the show. Audience, we will see you next time. Appreciate the time and pleasure to be on here. Thanks, Corey. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Marketing Report. This show is brought to you by Verisk Marketing Solutions an organization created to help CMOs and their partners improve the reach, timing, 
relevance and compliance of every consumer engagement. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to The Marketing Report wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the show notes for more information.